Hey, Hans is dying. No, he's not. But I want you to sign up for Patreon.com slash so I can pay him each month to do this program with me so he can live a bit more comfortably. In return, you're going to get exclusive episodes of Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema, and also episodes of After Dark, Nietzsche Influential Films of the 20th Century, which is a video series in which I will be covering uh, movies that had a lasting cultural impact in the era in which they were released. You also get Glue Addict, a reality television program starring myself and Hans and also Jake and Jerry from Civic TV, and Kenny, who is, of course, everybody's favorite. Patreon.com slash lowres. Again, it's $5 a month. This is typically where people who host podcasts go, oh, it's just a cup of coffee. You can't afford a cup of coffee each month. Some people can't. If you're a bum, if you're living on the street, if you got schizophrenia and, you know, and you're playing with knives all day, you probably can't afford my Patreon. But you, you who are listening to this, you probably can. And you can get all kinds of bonus goodies. So head on over to Patreon.com slash lowres. $5 tier. Enjoy the episode. This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans. And uh, Hans was just informing me that he he loves his salmon dip. He was just having salmon dip galore right before starting the program tonight. How was it? Yeah, it's, it's very good for uh, audio content when you just eat something that's going to make both moist and dry your mouth somehow. Uh, I also washed it down with a uh, a glass of uh, mango juice. That's a hundred percent pure mango that I just blend with a little bit of water. So, if I get phlegmy at any point, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> I think that's the most uh, Costa Rican thing you've ever said. Is you had uh, salmon dip with mango juice? Yep, that's fucking disgusting. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about a 1988 film today that is not often discussed and actually did not even receive a proper updated home video release until it was acquired by Vinegar Syndrome. And it's a movie we didn't really talk about when we did our Paul Schrader show, which, uh, seems to be a trend. We didn't really get into some of the most important of his movies. We didn't talk about, uh, uh, Mishima. A Life in Four Chapters, and that turns out to be probably his best movie. Probably would have been a good uh, doubleheader to do it this week with Patty yeah. Hearst, but we're not. We're not. We're going to be talking about uh, you know the Academy Awards and and all that. Uh, also, before we actually get into the movie of the night, Patty Hearst, consider signing up on Patreon.com slash Lowrez for $5 a month because you will get a bunch of early episodes, exclusive episodes, and plenty of other shows that we wind up doing, like Glue Addict, which is a reality TV show. And it means that I can pay Hans. And Hans, you're getting a higher paycheck this month than you did last month because it's been a very nice. good week for, for getting new patrons involved. So I am, uh, I'm pretty happy about that. And also we have a fundraiser going right now for our debut feature, which stars both Hans and myself, Mass State Lottery. Now, uh, the movie is mostly done. It's mostly complete, and it will be completed no matter what. But this fundraiser is so we can finish it this year, so we can get it done in a timely manner, because everything has been out of pocket thus far. We haven't had any outside financers, and uh, we prefer to keep it that way so we can have full control of the product and do a whole bunch of shit in a movie we probably wouldn't be able to do in a movie if other people had their say. And uh, also so we can afford some names. We want to get some actual actors involved uh not not like Corey feldman tier but names that you're <laughs> familiar with not not the best Corey feldman i'm sure he's done interesting work since the goonies and lost boys you wouldn't i like to <laughs> cast him in this i, I would <laughs> he should, I, he's look, probably too expensive just because of what he thinks of himself well, he is a legend in his in his own right. He is like one of the quintessential 1980s actors, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I guess. I guess from that era, how many are still alive? <laughs> I saw the saddest thing the other day. They, um, the guy from um, from the Sandlot, the the redhead fat guy. Yes, yeah. He, uh, well, someone posted it on Twitter. It's one of his TikToks, and uh, in his TikTok, he's dressed like the kid from the Sandlot. And someone comes in and he's like, hey, you're the kid from the Sandlot. He's like, yeah, and takes a picture with him. He's like, yeah. And then the, the kid leaves and he's just left there alone, miserable. Uh, it's just like that's his life. 
his entire life he's like, hey, you were that guy from that movie yeah. 30 years ago, and then everyone just leaves him alone because who cares? Well, it's either you're that guy or you're the guy from Heavyweights and uh, Mighty Ducks who is once 600 pounds and then becomes a meth addict and looks like he's 80 <laughs> years old. So uh, probably not the worst deal. Actually, I, there has to be some kind of like torture to looking the exact same as you did when you were 12 years old as an adult man. You know, I wonder what the kid from Bad Santa looks like now. Was is is he the same kid from uh, Eastbound and Down? Uh oh shit, that's a good question. I don't remember. I feel Let's like see. he's not. If I if I had to get it, it would it would seem like he is, but I have a feeling he's not going to be. I don't know. I haven't seen what either of those kids have been up to as of late. Oh, weird. Oh, it's just. A larger him. Uh, yep. <laughs> like it's, just, yep. it's just his little kid face, but like stretched. That's weird. Uh, That's disgusting. What has he done yeah, lately? What's his name? Let's name him. Name and shame. His name is uh, Brett Kelly. That's a that's a Chad name. That doesn't fit him. Brett Kelly. Last... That's like that's a crypto millionaire. He was in one episode of Supernatural in 2017. He did Bad Santa 2 in 2016. Uh, something called Family Law the series, I guess, in, on global TV. I think that's Canadian, right? That is Canadian. So he's doing that as an adult. Like I guess he's an adult now. Well, that that's how that works is over time you become an adult. <laughs> that's his first role as a not... Oh, Jesus. I'm, I haven't seen Bad Santa 2. Have you seen that? Bad Santa 2? No, I have not seen that. Uh, okay. Wasn't that, so, that was a, a Coen Brothers movie. What, or no, they wrote it. They wrote it. And I think somebody they outsourced the directing. The first one? The first one, at least. I think. Maybe they were just producers. I don't know. They had some sort of involvement, and that's how Billy Bob Thornton got involved. I don't know, but I'm looking at... Well, it says here that it was written by Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, who a couple of fat man mm -hmm. so maybe produced uh oh. bad santa 2 I'm, I'm looking at a couple of stills and he's already pretty scary in that uh, so uh yeah they were they were producers who were right uh paul schrader was uh was going on a rant on facebook about uh how uh how hollywood isn't semitic enough anymore and that's why movies are bad what do you think about that what? what Hollywood is not Semitic enough anymore, and that's why movies are bad. Okay, I don't. I don't know. I don't know about that. You don't. You don't know. I don't know. What does that? What does that even mean? It what means when Semitic? he went to Hollywood, and he, he got a scolding Jewish. for this in the comments section. He got <laughs> he got yelled at by some half Japanese, half Jewish man for saying, "Paul, you're." you're preying upon stereotypes by saying this. And Paul just like blasted him back. He's like, he's, he's the perfect boomer filmmaker. He looks it too. He looks yeah. exactly like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, he clearly meant it in a very good way. He said when he w went to Hollywood in the 1970s, Paul Schrader was originally a film critic. Paul Schrader was writing. He was obsessed with um, uh, the form of filmmaking. He wrote a couple of books in his early twenties. And then he, he was one of the guys from that era who started out in film criticism and then eventually graduated into a filmmaker, which is pretty rare in America. In, in France, that was more of a thing. I know that was the case with Fran Francois Truffaut. And uh, also, I think in Japan, that was that was the case as well. There were, there were many notable filmmakers in the 20th century, mid-20th century, who were film critics who became uh, auteurs. So he, he was talking about... Roger, oh, you got Roger Ebert, right? Ah, uh, no. Counterpart. I don't think he. I don't think he directed anything. He he wrote the screenplay for Valley of the Dolls, which was uh, what was that? One of those titty films. Russ yeah. Meyer. It was a Russ Meyer movie, wasn't it? Um, anyhow, so he was talking about how uh, Hollywood was extremely Jewish in the 1970s, and that has been washed away, and that's why it is void of any character now. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna disagree with him. What a well-intentioned thing to say. Because he knows better than we do. But, sure. But I mean, I, I, I don't want to disagree 100% because there's obviously something that has changed just by the way the movies are made and also the movies are greenlit now. 
and I guess we can get more into that when we talk about the Oscars, but uh, it's possible. I mean, it's possible that all of these forced diversity that has been playing Hollywood is making just everything so soft and so sanitized that it's not really for anyone. So, right. Maybe. Well, I, I think no. I think he. I think he's correct. I think anytime you you have, uh, in this case, a more ethnic or cultural uh, flair that is attributed to whatever the product is, and and I think the best case for this is a, a director. Bong Joon-ho, which I've mentioned before, when he does a Korean film that's in Korea with Korean actors, uh, it's usually great. It's usually mm -hmm. very good at, at the very least. And I felt that way about Parasite as well uh, in one of his later films. But anytime he tries to go international and mash up the cast with American actors, and we're going to have a couple of French actors, and we're going to have Korean actors, and they're all going to talk to each other, and they're going to act like they understand what each other are saying. It loses something. I think the, the best case for this is uh, Snowpiercer, which right. should have been a, a much bigger movie. It's an interesting concept for a movie, but something about it just don't stick. Maybe it's, it's the fact that... Yes, yeah. It's kind it's, of... Yeah. It's like, it's very it has like an odd, odd feeling to it when you're watching it uh, because it, it doesn't really feel like an American movie, but it, it looks like an American movie. Uh, so it has this, that two things of like the, the way that the, the drama is presented in uh, Asian movies is it's a lot more dramatic, I guess, than, than American one, uh, American or this side of the world uh, way. So when you have those two things against each other, you see people that are not used to giving these dramatic performances, giving a dramatic performance for a character that doesn't really merit it. So then it's 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 odd. Like it just it just feels like it doesn't fit. Um, like you're expecting, I don't know. I I, I enjoyed it. I like Snowpiercer, but I, I just remember feeling kind of odd about the whole thing just because there was something off about it. And now that you mentioned that, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I also think having Chris Evans as your lead in anything is probably not a good start to to anything. But no, you're you're actually really on point with that. I was trying to decipher in my head what exactly is the difference between like Korean acting and American acting. And I think it's that right now anyway, there is more sincerity in Korean acting, which is why they go for the more dramatic kind of like smoky, mysterious character. We're going to linger on certain lines and do this and that. And that isn't really the case with American actors anymore. They're, they're trying to be more jokey, more playful, uh, more tongue in cheek. It's the, the Marvel effect of things where, you know, we can't take it too seriously. The audience is here for entertainment and uh, you wind up losing something. I think when you when you play it that way, so I yeah, especially with uh, Tilda Swinton playing dress up in two different characters, yeah, 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 that hyper awareness yeah. to it, even though it's like you know, so it doesn't blend, it doesn't blend correctly in my opinion. So uh, yeah, but I, it's also it's also a thing that annoys me about the American market that uh, they always try to do this with Asian directors, where if they have success, they're very good at doing. Maybe not just one type of movie, but their type of movie on that side of the world. They try to bring them over here and have them replicate their success. But at the same time, they cut their wings so they don't have creative freedom completely. So then you get like what happened with John Woo, a couple of good movies and then a run of just like really like who cares type of movies. And then he ends up getting sick and going back to doing what he wants to do. Uh, and now they're doing that. Is he producing the series that they're doing of a parasite, or, or because I'm, I'm assuming he's not directing it, but no, he Adam McKay, Adam McKay is uh, the showrunner, I guess. So, right, he sucks. exactly, and he, it's just he like blows. we're just just because he's a good director, he's been doing good work over there. Now you're gonna bring him over here and, and try to force him to do quote unquote American movies. Uh, and that it just like you said, yeah, it doesn't really work usually. No, it doesn't translate. And I, I mean, if you even look at uh, Park Chan Wook, who's probably my favorite working director right now, I think he's usurped Refn in that that spot. Uh, when he did Stoker in 2013, when you have a director who can't communicate with the actors without needing a, a translator on set, there's going to be something lost. You know, it's not going to come out one-to-one -one like what you've seen him do before 
even if like there is a heightened element of style that is found in the edit of the movie like some of the performances in that movie are very like stale very uh clumsy stripped down and uh with 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 uh Bong Joon-ho I don't think he has any real creative involvement in any of the properties that have been adapted from his work I know the Snowpiercer show that which looks terrible I haven't seen it no I'm it's good got, Jennifer Connelly and David Diggs as the stars, and they had like fake Antifa guys with hockey masks, and <laughs> it, was, it, it, it looked really, really corny. Uh, I know it's like a USA series or a TNT, we know drama series. I, I, I can't fathom the type of person who would sit down and think that that's something that should be watched. Uh, Isn't it the sad? The saddest thing is that that's every series now, though. That's like for the past what five years, every quote-unquote drama that has a little bit of sci-fi or a little bit of genre to it it's this it's the same thing it just looks just not interesting you know even if the setting in this case is very interesting just the way it's presented it's just kind of like ah you watch the trailer you're like yeah this is not for me at all i have no interest in watching it yeah yeah i don't i don't know who that is for but in the, in the case of those series that's just a paycheck for him to collect at the end of the week so uh yeah I don't know. To bring it back around, Paul if, Schrader. If Paul, what? Look, we're not going to play upon stereotypes on this show about ho- old Hollywood tropes, but uh, I, I could absolutely see that being the case. You know, I, 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 I think, mean, the- I think the minute, like what you had said, once you try to make something for everybody, you wind up pleasing nobody, and that's yeah. that, that's where we're at with filmmaking in uh, in America. And I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that I shouldn't have said the fact uh, that there were more Jewish producers or people in charge back in the day, because uh, I guess it was it was more difficult to get your movie done because of more movie uh, money reasons, like movies were not making as much money as as they are now, especially small ones. But at the same time, I feel like the freedom that the directors had in the 70s, the 80s and even 90s. It's difficult to find now if you have money behind it. Mm. Uh, so, so even though it might have been more difficult back in the day to convince someone to give you money, uh, it seems like at least the people that were giving that money were not as involved in the process. So you end up with movies that are way more interesting and they have a lot of more character because it's the voice of maybe one or you know a couple of people, uh, but it's the vision of one director instead of having a comedian like now. Where, you know, if you work for or if you have a budget that's reasonable, you know, you're going to have a bunch of hands in the soup and might not end up being your own movie. Correct. Uh, so. So, yeah, he's, you know, as as much as it pains me to say this, <laughs> pretending that I don't agree with him, uh, I think he's right. <laughs> I think he, he might be right. Yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about one of his more uh, overlooked movies nowadays, but I actually feel... Like this movie, Patty Hearst, is so perfect for today's era in every way. It feels so contemporary. Yeah. Um, again, I th- this movie was kind of uh, you know just shrugged at. It it was not. A, I don't think this was a big hit. No, it was it based on. Uh, it was based on her autobiography from 1982. And it's not a very flattering image of Patty Hearst or the the situation in general and how she gets out of the situation. It seems extremely honest in that regard. And it sometimes it it treads the line of being like a really great satire in the kind of way that uh, somebody like you or I would probably uh, get a kick out of. And I noticed something that I didn't notice uh, previously on my rewatch of it, which is that the writer of this movie is Elia Kazan's uh, son. Are you familiar with Elia Kazan? No. So Elia Kazan is a legendary filmmaker. He did On the Waterfront. But what what his legacy wound up becoming in Hollywood was that he sold out all the communists during the Red Scare. He, He supplied a list of names to the government, brought people forth, and many people wound up getting blacklisted and probably imprisoned because of him. And so I think in the 90s, they were going to honor him. They were going to give him like a commemorative Oscar, which tonight they gave Tyler Perry to. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, 
I, I I remember seeing a bunch of Hollywood actors wearing like tape over their mouths and being like, no, 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 he's a, he's a rat, he's a rat, because he gave that list of names to the government at the time and wound up blacklisting people. So he's a he's he's a semi controversial figure, in my opinion. Don't really care. In, yeah, in the history of things, people people's transgressions don't matter in comparison to their art as much as you know. People want to go with the Ray Fisher uh, accountability is greater than art uh, slogan, which he's been ushering out on Twitter every six hours. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, God. Which, listen, I think I forgot. Who, hold on, I forgot who Ray Fisher was for a second. How could you? Like, who the who? Who's Ray? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think in a court of law, absolutely, of course. You know, you don't want uh, somebody like. Uh, Somebody like O.J. Simpson would get a pass just because he's a great artist in the Naked Gun movies, you know? Right. But he uh, did though. He did get a pass. He, did get a pass. <laughs> he still did. Well, it depends we on should, the court of law, you know. We, he didn't get a pass for to, for robbery. That's what we need to do. We need to bring him back as a comedic actor in one of our. That's things. where that Mass State Lottery fundraiser. That's the actor we're talking about getting, <laughs> getting required. O.J. Simpson. Okay. He's out of retirement. No, uh, in a court of law, sure, but in in history, that tends not to be the case. People people kind of ignore a lot of the crimes committed by great artists. Like for example, uh, uh, what was it? Lewis Carroll was a pedophile, and H.P. Lovecraft was a was a you know fervent racist. Oh, <laughs> do you have an yeah. example? Uh, yeah, Roman Polanski. <laughs> uh, that's a more recent Well, one. he's not dead yet. He, I, he, I mean, people haven't uh, even... Uh, they, they revisit that every so often. And that Chinatown book, which is a very, very good book, very informative book. I forget the author. Uh, he was on the Brett Easton Ellis podcast somewhere recently. I, and I can't even remember the full title of it. But there was a Chinatown... There was a, there, there was a nonfiction book released about the making of Chinatown recently that is a terrific read and gives you insight on his involvement and also that crime. They do cover that crime. And uh, also Jack Nicholson's and everybody else, Robert Evans, and how the two Jakes wound up falling apart. Uh, very, very good read. So, anyway. Wait, Polanski wasn't Brett Easton Ellis? No, 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 no. The guy that no. wrote that book. The guy who wrote the book. Oh, okay. All right. So okay, how how about Victor Salvia? I guess he's not dead. Either. No, well, he's not dead, and uh, he's. I mean, they're re they're rebooting his franchise, so he's good yes, against team. The corporations have forgiven Victor Salva, yeah. even if uh, we may not have. Not so. even ten years went by, and now he has his franchise rebooted, and now he's going to continue making money. So, yeah. Jeffrey Jones from Beetlejuice and uh, every Tim Burton film. Tim Burton has a weird track record for working with some some sketchy criminals, you know? I don't know. Something to look into, what Tim Burton's up to. Why is he so obsessed <laughs> with gothic children's properties? What is he even up to now? What what creepy Disney. cartoon from the 60s is he remaking? Uh, he's doing The Addams Family. Oh. oh, wow. That was a... Lucky guess. I yeah, really got that's no extremely idea. on point. <laughs> it was supposed to be with Johnny Depp, but now uh, Netflix is like, well, Johnny Depp? He just lost his case against Amber Heard. You can't include Johnny Depp, even though the cops have like audio or whatever of her faking a crime against herself while Johnny Depp uh -huh. was standing next to the, the, the story there is that the police showed up. I might not have this 100% correct. The police show up. And Amber Heard is in the middle of faking an assault on herself as perpetrated by Johnny Depp. And Johnny Depp's just hanging out with the cops while she's screaming in the other room. What a psychopath. They, it, it, don't date any actresses. Actresses, I, I, that's like yeah, a, that's, that's a, yeah, a, a guarantee that you're, you're going to be involving yourself in a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you not just go... What do you mean? You know, I I understand if you're someone like us that have no money. So let's say that your girlfriend goes nuts, right? And she starts doing exactly the same thing. 
it's not like you can be like, well, all right, fine. I'm going to go get a hotel. Well, I mean, I'm sure you can, but like, I'm going to go stay whatever else and go pay for it and whatever and not deal with this shit for at least tonight or not deal with it at all and just send someone to fucking get her out of my house. This guy has that ability to do that because he has piles and piles of un- never-ending money. How do you just fucking stay there? And just, hey, I'm going to just hang out with the cops while she does, does that shit instead of just saying, all right, you're insane, I'm going to go and I'll send someone to physically remove you from my house. You know, like that's, I don't, I don't understand that. I, I understand that he's an old man. Uh, so maybe that. He's not that old. He's just an he's alcoholic. Yeah. He's an alcoholic. So he seems older and his teeth are a mess. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think it's just, he's, uh, you know, he's so invested in the craziness. Maybe I'm sure, I'm sure he's no, no angel as far as this goes. Typically it takes two to tango. I think when it comes well, to situations like, that. like these. It's like that Marilyn Manson thing that came out, right? Of that girl complaining, being like, yeah, he's, you know, he actually did rituals and whatever. He's like, yeah, if you are going to the house of the son of the devil that's telling <laughs> you every song that he does all these crazy shit and you show up and he's weird. It's like, what, what the fuck do you expect? So, yeah. But yeah, you're dating Marilyn Manson in the 90s. Yeah. When he's going on like Geraldo and talking about all sorts of terrible shit like we, we, come on come on I, uh, anyway this is uh this is all irrelevant to or <laughs> i mean could you consider patty, patty hurst an artist could you forgive her for her oh. her sins for joining the uh what is it the Cybernese liberation army <clears throat> as led by Sinke? That that's ving rames right that's ving rames that's a young very... ving rames a very funny Ving Rhames in this. He was my favorite character. He was so... Because he was just a, like a modern-day black Israelite. Uh, and yeah, he's Mike he's, Mike. He's, yes. <laughs> and his accent was like a combination between like a hood black guy from the States, but also an African. So sometimes he would slip out and do like that very stereotypical African voice speaking English. So that that kept me entertained throughout. My thing when watching this was there is absolutely no way that if this movie was greenlit by HBO that they would portray her in a negative sense. And I think they do make fun of her in this. And I also mm-hmm. think that they show her taking the easy way out when she is captured and getting the benefits because of her status as uh, the offspring of a billionaire, of a mogul, uh, to not receive the same punishment that the other members of this army likely received. So I know that they just did a Nexium documentary where they uh, essentially portrayed a lot of the people who got wrapped up in that as just innocent victims who didn't know any better. And I think that is so bullshit. Because if, if you're getting wrapped up in a cult, you want to get wrapped up in a cult. There's something about that that you can feign naivete all you like, but if you're you're you know if these things are happening around you, and you're even vaguely aware of it, and you're continu- I mean, look, cults as a structure are always highly peculiar, so for you to be susceptible to that to begin with, I I have no sympathy. I I I, yeah. I, I don't differentiate you from some of the worst members that may be involved in that. You're all the same to me. I mean, I think you're only you're only a victim if you're one of those uh, Scientology people that get in and then they get all that information from you and just blackmail you and you can't get out or whatever. Maybe in that case, fine. But if you're willingly there, like it shows here and you're like, like that was the thing that was funniest to me about this thing. And like you said, like it, it just it can apply to 2020, 2021 perfectly. And every like as as the movie went along it became more accurate to what you guys are living now. Uh, every ca- little white character that popped up, like a little rich white character to pop up, and the things they would say, you can put them on a movie made last year, and it would fit perfectly. Like the, the whole, um, how, how in every group, there's like a fat one, there's there's like a, a lesbian with short hair, there's a hot one. Like they, they, every, everything... Uh, when it comes to like modern politics and like th- those people that are involved in that, uh, trying to be the res- the resistance or whatever, 
it was exactly what this is. Uh, and that was, my, I guess my, my favorite thing about it was that, how, how uh, I don't know how tongue-in-cheek it was or how on purpose it was. But well, hold on. It just, was just, just to go back to the point where, where we didn't kind of uh, flesh, it, <clears throat> flesh out the... I just woke up from a nap, so my brain's moving slower than usual. I'm struggling here. Uh, Alaya Kazan's son, uh, who, who, whose name is Nicholas Kazan. Your father outed communists. What kind of household do you think that you grew up in? Probably a more right-leaning one, is my guess. If you take a look at uh, John Milius's daughter, she just directed The Plot Against the President, which is like a, a, a pro-Trump film. Uh, so let, let's assume that Nicholas Kazan had a similar trajectory. He obviously has no sympathy for the members of the Cybernese Liberation Army or anyone who is this progressively left-wing. And especially <laughs> back then. Back then, it seems like e- even more unusual in the yeah. 1980s. So uh, I, I have no choice but to believe that this is deliberately satirical and taking jabs at them. And the whole William Forsythe character in this, which I can't yeah. get into. He's, he's literally the best part of this movie. <laughs> it, his, his involvement, his character, and the things he says and does elevate this movie. So it is uh, hilarious, in my opinion. You can't really find this in any other modern <laughs> film. Um, to what we were saying, though, uh, with the Patty Hearst character, look, she was kidnapped. Okay, you're a victim. But then you chose to stay there. We can we yeah. believe in the idea of Stockholm syndrome, sure. Uh, but it, what is that really? It's just you're kind of you're kind of getting into what's happening to you. That's all that really is. You've been there long enough where you're conditioned to enjoy it, but that doesn't stop you from being able to break that at any moment. Also, was she? I guess you can't really show it, but her torture was that she would have a blindfold on for most of the day and that's it you know they never really showed her abusing her or doing anything that was more than just that like she would even take baths blindfolded and what kind of fucking kidnapper allows you to take baths you know uh so at, at no point i i felt like she was at any danger in this uh, especially because of uh the fact that she wa- was like the you know the money right she was at the the um, what do you call the ransom money or whatever? Right. Like I, I knew that they were going to keep her alive. So at, at no point I felt like she was even forced to be in there. Because uh, a lot of well, times it was just like, go on. In the beginning, I mean, she, she was not just blindfolded. She was kind of locked in a closet for, I All guess, right, what true. we're yeah. to assume is weak. So no, it was not, it was not entirely easy. But again, after ah, a certain she, point, she's whatever. given the option. <laughs> she is given the option to, you know, exit, or stick with them. Yeah. And maybe for her own survival, she chooses to stick with them. But there are plenty of opportunities once she has them fooled where she can break out, go home, and she doesn't want to. It seems like she is entirely invested in this. And obviously, uh, you know, enough for the, the real woman to have a famous image of her holding a machine gun, holding up a place where you, I think it was a bank or something. So, uh, Sorry, that that only goes so far. I I, I can't sympathize with that. And I mean, look, if you're still in the closet and you're traumatized or whatever, sure, that's one thing. But then you can clearly see she's she's yeah. rocking with them for real. Yeah, there's a very funny scene where Ving Rains just uh, grabs a microphone, starts playing like a sexy song, and then he just talks or raps or something, and people just start awkwardly dancing around him. Felt very. Uh, Charles Manson-y, very culty like that. No, you know what uh, it felt like? It felt like when you're at a like a uh, party with a bunch of white people and you, you bring your black friend and he starts freestyling and everybody's really impressed, you know, even though it's shit, even I, though it's not good. I, I don't know. Oh, please, you were in the UK. Happened. I'm sure that happened plenty. No, but black people from the UK are not real black people. <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, let's not get into that. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, no, <clears throat> I don't have like friends that freestyle in the drop of a hat right now. That's never happened to me. Tell me about it. <clears throat> it happens. It happens uh, quite often in the United States. If you go to like a more, we'll, we'll, we'll consider it like an affluent neighborhood, and you bring your your friend Kenny, 
who loves to freestyle uh, at any given notice, uh, that will that will happen. That will especially happen if people are under the influence of substances. Yeah, life of the party. Start calling him the N word. Well, yeah. That, I mean, back in 2010, 20, yep. not, a, not a hard R, certainly not. But, uh, you know, trying to relate, be one of the homies, yeah. people will say all kinds of dumb shit. And uh, <laughs> I, I actually, to tell you the truth, I went to school with a kid uh, who's a photographer now. And I remember he, he put out a very racist tweet during a Bruins game because, I guess, uh. the Bruins got scored on by a person of color. And uh, he dropped a hard R on Twitter. And this was like the first real cancellation. Some paper picked it up. His tweet. He had like no following. He, we're talking about a guy <laughs> with like 30 followers. And this is 2011, 2012. They published his tweet. They put a screen cap of the tweet in the newspaper. And it got picked up. I think like the Sun or the Daily Mail or some UK thing was showing it off. And he got canceled before canceling was a thing. Was his business ruined? I don't know. I... I I wasn't really a fan of the kid, to be honest with you. I had a boxing, <laughs> I had a boxing match with him one time. No, I didn't have one with him. I almost did, and I wound up boxing somebody else. And it was boxing match. Yeah. What? Why what we did? We, we just did things when we were bored. Backyard boxing. Oh, I thought in like school or something like that. No, you guys no. just. No, just it was start. very white trash, to be honest. With yeah, you. it was a dirty backyard back. with like a fence that was all messed up. The I remember. Death backyard wrestling with your friend yeah it was it was essentially that it was essentially that um so i i also think this movie has an interesting split where in the beginning you do have that kidnapping portion where you're not sure where uh this cult stands with her as like a genuine member and i think that's probably more creatively interesting than where it winds up going and unfortunately ends it, it, it the wind gets sucked out of it i think around the time that uh, Sinke winds up being killed yeah. by the police. Um, and you're left with the William Forsythe character, Tico, and his girlfriend, who I think, what was her name, Yolanda? The, uh, the couple who didn't really seem fond of Patty Hearst or whatever. What is her character's name that she winds up being uh, rebranded as? Ah, oh, fuck. Uh, I don't remember. I'm going to have to look that up. You, yeah, well, we're left with them, and then you have the Tico character trying to reform uh, the Liberation Army, and he doesn't know where to start. His his input is, we need a black leader. They they like <laughs> they try to pull a black leader out of nowhere, like very desperately, and you do have a voice of reason character, um, Wendy, who is an Asian female, and they go to yeah, her house, yeah, yeah. and she just kind of calls a spade a spade in his case. Uh, well, it's great. It's it's the it's it's what you expect. Uh, Paul Schrader wants to tell that those type of political per people, I guess, because she goes on a little rant about how you know you're not going to tell me something is racist, you white man. Like you're going to tell me I'm oppressed when I'm not oppressed and I'm powerful and whatever. Like he, it sounded like the voice of a director just you know telling pretty much the character what what he wanted to, especially knowing Paul Schrader, you know. Well, I, I don't know if that's Paul Schrader as much as it is Nicholas Kazan. I, I definitely think that Paul Schrader is probably more in that camp than not, even if yeah. you do, do check out his Facebook. Even though he says uh, uh, very inappropriate things from time to time, he does seem like a more liberal guy. But a liberal in the 1980s is very different yeah. than a liberal today. A liberal today has been coaxed into going along with the Cybernese uh, 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 Liber Liberation Front and their, their, their beliefs um, so this kind of movie absolutely would never, ever, ever be made in today's <laughs> system. And that's one of the reasons you know, why I really enjoy this, this movie. And also, and I, I want to cover this at some point, but I know Perfume Nationalists just did an episode on it. I don't want to feel like we're kind of uh, copying them. You know, we're not trying to go one for one. Uh, Looking for Mr. Goodbar. That's another movie that you can absolutely say would never get made today. And I also think, the reason why this movie was ignored in its distribution uh, more recently and it has been overlooked, and the same reason why Looking for Mr. Goodbar has never been released on uh, Blu-ray, is because it goes against a lot of the beliefs of today, the ethos mm. of today, and the anti-victim 
messaging that both of these movies have, which is that, yes, you, you're, you're not always in control of the things that happen to you. Her getting kidnapped is out of her control. But everything that follows, you wind up inviting your own doom and you welcome it's a it. choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just think it's funny because uh, uh, all of the army, what do you, what do you want to call them? The, the liberation army or whatever. Uh, you know that they would have like a lefty podcast if, if, if that was happening now. Like that's how you make fun of them, I guess. It was just. Uh, yeah, they would absolutely uh, be chapos today. Like, they would be. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they look, they look like modern day leftists on Twitter. Yeah. Well, they wish they were as well-built as Ving Rhames in this movie. More like William Forsyth. William yeah. Forsyth. Can we focus on, on him? Let's talk about William Forsyth's perfect character, the best role of his career. Uh, I, he's an, I love he's William another Forsyth one, now. He's, exactly. He's another one that's always great in everything. Uh, no matter what character he's playing, he's always enjoyable to watch. He then... he rules in this movie. He is he's he he might be my favorite Paul Schrader character. Uh his character Tico is is so full of like self-hatred because he is not uh his preferred skin color. He is like the original Rachel Dolezal. As a matter of fact, they dress up in blackface in this movie to kind of uh <laughs> get by for an operation and they have a scene of him talking to himself in the mirror. And he's talking jive to him. He's got a big afro. Like, there's a picture of Jeremy Johns doing... I'm sorry, Jeremy Johns. I'm not trying to out you here. But there's a picture of Jeremy Johns who cluelessly somehow did blackface in the past 10 years for one of his videos uh, and threw on an afro and did himself up. And it's kind of like that. It looks a lot like that. <laughs> and he's talking like... He calls people... Was he talking about this movie? Was no. he talking about this movie? I have no just... idea what the context was. It could have been Soul Man or something. Who knows? I, I don't know. The the balls on Jeremy Johns to be able to do that and just act like <laughs> not nothing just happened. Balls. It's just, yeah. Ten years is not that long ago for you to think that that's Look, okay, you, you, you know? could get away with a lot in 2015 as far as uh, race jokes without people being like, is that, is, is he, does he secretly have swastikas in his home? Is there a Nazi flag above his bed? Because he said... Something about fried chicken? I, I don't know. Uh, for you to wear blackface any year after, I want to say, like, 2011, that's that that's well, that's exactly what I was saying before. It's inviting your own doom. It's welcoming your own doom. Um, I, I don't know what he did it for, but uh, it's out there. There's a thumbnail. I found it by accident because we were talking about that Amazon show Them with DJ in the Facebook group. Facebook.com slash Lores gang. And that's what I wound up finding instead because I was looking for photos from Bamboo. It was probably Bamboozled, the Spike Lee movie, which they don't even dress. I mean, they dress up, I think, Michael Rappaport in blackface in that movie because why wouldn't you like secretly clown on him if you're Spike Lee? But, yeah. Um, yeah. Very, very odd choice from an odd he's, man. He's such an interesting character, though. Because he's Tico, such... not Jeremy Johns. Yeah, Tico. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know who Jeremy Johns is, but I think it's outrageous that if you were creating content ten years ago, like 2010, doing blackface, maybe maybe throw that one back in the drawing board. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe especially if you're <laughs> maybe white. replace the thumbnail on that one at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least so that if the video is deleted, you know, you don't have your reissue it with one of those Looney Tunes warnings that this is a product of its time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right at the beginning, a very somber font. Yeah. Uh, but this Tico character, uh, he's so insecure, and you you know that his entire uh, ideology is because he wants to be the Ving Rhames character. Oh yeah. Uh, and and everything else is just he's just trying to copy him, and then when he's gone, he doesn't really know what to do. So I guess he's just like, well, I uh, I'll, I'll become him, and then there's that that scene where. What does he say? He says, "I want to be black." Or what is it? What is the the quote? He I wish yells, I were black. I, I wish mean, I just very wish black. I were fucking black. Like he says it. He says it like how William Forsyth so, would say it uh, on a first take. Like he's not comfortable yeah. with the line yet, and he feels so so, like very self conscious of it. Yeah, yeah. Like he lowers his voice a little when he says "black" the second time. Like he's in a supermarket trying to talk to his friend. Yeah, and you can you can totally see that character in real life too. They're just not as 
hours with it because because you know we we have all of these intimate moments with the camera so we know that he has those little like the moment in the mirror but you can absolutely see this character in real life and just being the exact same thing where they're just trying to mold their life uh to be the same thing as this leader or this or this person that they admire i guess especially yeah. in politics <clears throat> yes absolutely um yeah, I, I, as far as Paul Schrader's filmography goes, from what you're familiar with, would would you say that this was one of the uh, better films? I know you you kind of struggled with it to begin with. Yeah, uh, at first I I was confused by the tone of it. I didn't know if I'm supposed I was supposed to be taking them seriously, like if they were trying to show uh, the kidnappers or just because I, I wasn't familiar with her story at all, so I, I I had no idea where it was going. But at first. I was a little put off by it just because I guess I was applying modern day politics to it where if you're being preached that shit now, which happens a lot, uh, you kind of get sick of it. So uh, as soon as they started with that, it was the, the America. With the, you, can, you can tell he said it with like the KKK, the way he pronounced it. Yeah. I was like, uh, all right, I, I don't really I'm not really in the mood for this right now. Uh, but then, you know, I did a little bit more research about it. I just read a little bit of it. And, and uh, after getting past that huddle, I guess I did enjoy it. But um, I thought the first half of it was a lot more visually interesting than the second half. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mostly because uh, things are, are, are being told from her point of view. So a lot of the times we don't even see her. We just see what she's seeing. Uh, and especially at the beginning when she's in the closet, there's a lot of of uh, of, of darkness that um, gets interrupted by them opening the door and giving her some babbling at her or whatever. And then the door closes and he's back to darkness. Uh, that that shot is repeated uh, like five or six times, I think. Uh, and it puts you into that mindset of the, the person that's being kidnapped. And it gives you like a, uh, an extra dimension to the film, I think, uh, in a storytelling sense. Uh, but unfortunately, as soon as she's free, I guess you can say, when, when she becomes part of the gang or the army, uh, that's lost. Like, it, 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 there's not I, a lot I, I don't of... know if I would even say that. I, I would definitely agree that there's more of a decline, I guess, on the, the creative aspects. But I think that's when it goes full satire. And that's what I think I wound up enjoying ultimately most in the movie. But the problem here with, that I've begun to notice with Paul Schrader films is kind of similar to Stephen King books where he doesn't know how to stick the landing. And I mm -hmm. saw this with American Gigolo where it becomes a different movie in the third act and it starts to um, get a little too messy. And it, I, I know this is also kind of the case with, uh, well, I don't, I don't know if I'd say that hardcore because there, there's still a lot of excitement that's built when he is on the chase going after that guy, but how we get from like him trying to find his daughter to then stopping this guy and the guy's a sociopath. He's crazy. Like it, it, it seems like there's a lot lacking that connects these, these two things from where we just were and spent most of the movie and how we're closing out the film. And that seems to be something that is a recurring issue with his movies. I'd even say maybe, maybe, maybe first reformed has a similar problem in that regard, mm. Dog Eat Dog certainly does. It's a different movie in the last half hour. Um, I, I, let, yeah. me use a, let me use a, a film school term and say that he's very good to, with the buildup to the inciting incident. But then once that incident happens or when that big moment happens that changes the either direction of the movie or changes our character, it kind of loses a little bit of that yeah like like it, it, there's a lot of more focus on letting us know who the character is and and allowing us to know the character even even if they're not explicitly telling you who this character is or using a lot of exposition they still introduce you to the character and the build-up to that one thing is great but then kind of yeah fades fades off and so then what, the what ending... would you say is the inciting incident here would you say it is her becoming a member of the cult or would you say it's Sinke's death Ooh, that's a good one. I think, mm, no, well, her in her story, I think is when she becomes part of the group because she she starts feeling more. Even though I, I don't think she ever 
felt, at least in the movie, completely comfortable, 100% comfortable with him. Uh, I don't know if it was that has to do with the, with the performance, but I, I never really felt like she was 100% in. But uh, I think at that point, it's when, well, the movie visually changed uh, because she wasn't, you know, being, quote unquote, tortured, if you want to call it that. But also, uh, her story changed. So even though the Ving Rhames character, what is it? Was it the? Well, you know, you don't Sin know K. the name of that character. Sinke, right? Uh, when he dies, I think the the Tico character, his story becomes more of the focus of the story. And I, I don't know if she's as affected as much by this loss as she should be, maybe because of that, or at least it's not presented that way. I didn't feel that it was presented that way in the movie where, where, you know, she was that affected by it. Uh, so I personally, I think that it was when, when she joined the, the, the gang and, and everything started changing for her. I think. Yeah. I, I, I would probably, I think <laughs> I agree, but I think the, the turning point is certainly his death. And I agree that she, her character is not as affected by that. She doesn't have the sort of attachment to him that Tico and Yolanda have where they are just kind of uh, lost and they don't know what the next move should be, which is why they go out to the countryside and set up shop at um, at Wendy's house. Wendy's the, yeah. the Asian-American woman who scolds them for their white guilt <laughs> and uh, correctly calls everything out. Um, and then shortly thereafter, you see everything fall apart. It's uh, I, I, I do think this is one of Paul Schrader's more interesting movies. I don't know if I would say it's one of his best movies, but he's got some... The 19, his 1980s streak is very interesting to me. Um, and I haven't seen Light of Day. I know we were laughing about that right before the show. Apparently he did a musical with Michael J. Fox and Je Jenna Rollins. Jenna Rollins would have been like pushing, I think, 60 at the time. They, yeah, well... Uh, that will be something to check out at some point. But you take a look at this, and you take a look at Mishima Life in Four Chapters, and uh, you know these these movies are, are. I mean, again, I said it before, but if you were to ad adapt the same material today, it would be completely altered. You can't even do a movie like I don't know why this came to mind. Zombie Land Two. Did you see Zombie Land Two? No. Okay. No. Zo Zombie Land Two has a setup of. Uh, well, we're all going to go to this commune. We're going to go to the commune. They don't have guns. They just kind of, it's free love and peace and it's millennials and this and that. And in your head, you're like, all right, so the natural tra trajectory of this is going to be, they're going to go to the commune because Abigail Breslin wants to go to the commune because uh, she's the youngest and she don't know any better. And she's with a hippie guy who knows how to play guitar or whatever. And uh, they're oh. going to go, and then they're all going to go, and they're going to give up their guns, and then it's going to get flooded with zombies, and they're all going to wind up killed, and they're going to learn you need your gun. That's Wait, that's they, got be... the, they got the Stifler character from Jenny and Silent Bob Strikes Back? Do you remember that, when he jumps in the, in the van and he starts playing his guitar? Oh, yes. Remember yeah, that? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sean Williams Scott, cult or something. Sean Williams Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great, by the way. Come back. Miss you. <laughs> I don't know what he's up to, but I don't know what he's up to, but yeah. Okay, so what happens? Well, he's not. I don't. He's not on Cameo.com, so he must be doing okay for himself. Maybe the what American happens? Pie residuals are good. Anyway, all right. So Zombie Land Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They go to the commune, and again, it's a very like modern millennial. We don't want guns, even though there's zombies, and we're gonna live happily and free among. It's a recipe for disaster, but because this movie was put out in 2020. They get cold feet about what the act, like what the real ending of that should be, once the zombies start invading it. So instead of getting like a giant bloodbath where a bunch of people are going to die because they're not out to protect themselves and they want to live in ignorance, they wind up forming a circle and they build a bridge and the zombies fall into a hole and they did it and the commune wins. What? It wins. No, it it wins <laughs> out. Peace wins out. You can get rid of your guns and live among the zombies, and it'll be okay. And I, I looked at that and I was like, "How do this you... is pure communism? This is a communist propaganda film. They got scared. They didn't want to look. They get, because of contemporary society, they got nervous and they made it a piece of left wing propaganda. <laughs> and so I the just, zombies just." The zombies just fall in a hole, but they're still there. 
They right. use Woody Woody Harrelson and the guys as bait, and then they bring them up, and then they throw them off of a moat or something into a hole, and they go splat. And so they figure it out a way. They did it. Even though there's thousands the of zombies. Die. It was the stupidest ending I've ever that's seen. That's not how they died, though. Hans, it was terrible. It was, it was fucking <laughs> awful. It was. They're going to come out sooner pathetic. or later. That's so dumb. Right. It, was, it was awful. I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't watch it, then, Because I actually think the first one was pretty good. Especially when it comes to like modern-day comedies. It's fine. But, I mean, that, that happens with every fucking sequel that's come out in the past 20 years, though, isn't it? What sequel has made the movie better besides like or the original better besides like the Nolan trilogy? I guess you can say that. Like, could you what... say that? I mean, the second one is the best, right? Well, most people say that. I look. I like. I like Dark Knight Rises the most because it's most like a theatrical classic Batman film. Dark Knight right. is uh, fine. It's very good. Okay, and but Batman it, Begins is also it, very. They're all good. I'm not going to trash two and them. Three are, but two and three are better than the one, though. I guess that's, that's what my point is. I think that. most people would disagree with that. I think I think people say Batman Begins and Dark Knight are better than Dark Knight Rises. People, right. pe- for whatever reason, I, people don't, I don't like Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. I don't really care. I'll, t- I'll tell you what I like about Batman Begins uh, more than Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. I like that Gotham City has it like a vis- visual smoggy, brown, gross look to it. And the Burn cops me. are also... yeah. That like yeah. you have the narrows and which is basically like the projects of of Gotham. They would you? Yeah. <clears throat> sorry, sorry. Um, now that we know that Zack Snyder is not going to touch Batman anymore because they won't let him, would you give? And let, let's pretend that uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman is not coming out, so there's no mm-hmm. nothing Batman coming out this year. Would you give that franchise to Tim Burton again now? Tim Burton now. After yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I I don't see what it what, what the problem with that would be because at worst you're going to get something that was derivative of the old, and that's already very good in itself. Uh, but I feel like if you did give it back to Tim Burton, and I don't think that would happen. I think he's on contract with Disney probably for the rest of his life. Unfortunately, he's got one of those Clint Eastwood contracts. Uh, I think that it could he he might he might see it as fertile ground to explore which is not something he has done lately. He's just kind of, unfortunately, manufactured these very yeah. generic, like, gothic Disney films. Look, I, I actually, I thought, I thought Dumbo was okay. I'll, I'll stand by that. I haven't seen I'll it. I haven't seen it. Dumbo was all right. I enjoyed Dumbo. But Did you cry? I, I wept. I wept hysterically. <laughs> yeah, shed some tears for Dumbo. Um I think it would be interesting because something tells me that he would start getting into the weirder Batman villains that Nolan didn't want to use. So he would go the complete opposite way, I think, with someone like Tim Burton. I mean, I don't know. Like you said, he's been making not great creative stuff for the past five, ten years. But if we had that... Tim Burton with creative freedom, I think he would grab that Batman franchise and actually make something interesting out of it instead of what? What we're going to get, which is what, Andy Muschietti aping Tim Burton? Yeah, yeah. Who's the director of the new Batman? Who's the director again? Matt Reeves. Uh, Right. Don't care for him. He's all I, right. He's look. He's not my first. He's not one of my te- first ten choices for a Batman movie. I don't think he has much style, to be honest with you. I think the trailer to the new Batman looked f- pretty good. I mean, when I watched it when it came out, I was like, "All right, that that's that seems interesting." But then I rewatched it again recently, and I felt, yeah. And also, the Mountain Dew Riddler shit is not is not a good sign usually. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever whenever well, they start doing the pot, product placement for the Batman movies, that is when things start to go off the rails. The last time I saw that was good old uh, good old Batman Forever. I'm looking at his uh, <laughs> filmography. There's a David Schwimmer, Gwyneth Paltrow Paul Bear vehicle. Yes, wow, that was his first right. movie. Okay, um, so. Yeah, he doesn't have. A, that's I guess that's my biggest my biggest issue with people that are um, handling these properties. Uh, you have someone like Zack Snyder again, the modern day Kubrick. Yeah, <laughs> Zack Snyder um, with a vision who has his own ideas and his own creative process and all that. 
You have Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. Like, did I fuck up his name already? Matt Reeves, right? Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Matt Reeves. If you look at his filmography, he's done a lot of blockbusters, I guess. Cloverfield, Dawn of uh, Planet of the Apes, and then War for the Planet of the Apes. Um, you have a couple of episodes of Felicity, uh, Cloverfield, Let Me In. There's not really a style there. There's not really a thing where you can pinpoint what a Matt Reeves movie is. And I, I think the problem with giving someone like that a comic book property is that when these franchises are coming from comic books, they already have like their own look to it, their own feel to it, and their own... Well, it's, it's a whole universe, right, that you're getting from comics. Uh, when you get someone like Tim Burton, for example, just to use the guy that we were talking about, you know that he's going to grab his own creative vision and apply it to that already existing universe, creating something that will possibly be good just because of giving it a different voice, I guess, than, than the, what you could, would get regularly. When you get someone like Matt Reeves or someone like the, the um, fuck, what's his name? Um, whatever, any other of this director for hire that have been directed these blockbuster movies. Uh, you don't really get a, a lot of that. So at the end, it's just like, oh, cool, a Batman movie. But like, uh, I don't know. There, there's nothing about his filmography that has me excited about this or that I think, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see the Matt Reeves version of this scene or of this shot or anything. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'm like the trailer, like you said, look good. But I don't know. I, I would like to get someone that has more of a, a vision of like, can you imagine? Right, uh, He's not an auteur. So there's nothing that you can really go to. Like every one yeah. of his films feels separate of the others. Yeah. And it, like the Planet of the Apes movies, they're fine, but they're kind of generic as far as the style goes. Yeah. And, um, you know, Cloverfield is fun, but what can you really say about that? That's going to yeah. make it stand out as opposed to any other monster movie or found footage film. There's there's nothing to that. I mean, it's a, a a great piece of what late aughts filmmaking, but whatever. I don't know. I, let them let them give this a go. I have a feeling that the Batman is going to be one and done, even though they're planning a trilogy. I have a feeling it's going to go exactly like Amazing Spider Man, where it's like we got we got three films lined up, and then it crashes. Right. I, I mean, not. maybe we'll get a sequel to uh. it. But, I hope not, just because of how fucking bad that movie. Have you rewatched it recently? I tr I, I made an attempt at rewatching the Amazing Spider-Man recently, and uh, fifteen minutes never. in, I was like, I was like, oh, I just remember why I don't like this. <laughs> just like I, yeah, yeah, never. Mind. There's nothing charming bad about idea. the what's his name, Mark Webb, Mark Webb yeah. films. Uh, I, I there there's aspects of both movies that I kind of almost like, but there's nothing there that justifies. Uh, you know, full feature films. I think there's there's good chemistry between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, and uh, that's about it. You know, there's they repeat the first movie in a lesser way with Amazing Spider-Man, and then Amazing Spider-Man Two is just a mess. So, and it feels like Batman Forever. That's another movie that feels like Batman yeah. because of Jamie Foxx, and they're bringing him back, so he's going to be in the new one. So, great, cool, okay, we're going to do so a mashup. God damn, I just hate everything. <laughs> just like, I hate not enjoying anything new. Uh, because I love watching, and I'm, I'm running out of old things to watch too, which sucks. Because just, I've just, I've watched so many non-modern movies that, uh, fuck. Anyway. It's bleak. It's very bleak. It's very depressing, yeah. Speaking of modern movies, we do have a another show coming up right after this that is going to be on the Oscars, which we did not watch. As a matter of fact, we haven't even watched most of the movies around, but we're just going to have a general conversation about the results of it. So uh, I think I think this is probably a pretty good spot to put a pin in Patty Hearst. Do you have any final thoughts you didn't get to on this movie? Yes. Yeah. I have a couple, a couple of lines here. Um Undercover pigs pretending to be queers. That was a line that made me laugh. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Cruising. Well, no, yeah, a lot of a lot of it. It was it was just that I thought it was funny how accurate they got modern day politics, even though this was the eighties, and how you can just grab the commentary in this one and apply it, and it will fit perfectly into everything that's happening in America right now. Uh, so if you're interested in that type of thing and just like a 
a very well done piece of satire uh, that is weirdly accurate to 30 years later. Uh, go go find it somehow. I mean, I, I did struggle finding this one, by the way. Uh, I, I ended up finding like a Turkish website or something that, that had it <laughs> because uh, my regular way of getting them just wasn't working. But it's I think it's it's worth watching, especially if you if you're interested in. Uh, um, Fuck! How did I forget his fucking name already? Uh, the director, Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader's filmography, uh, because it's it, it 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 doesn't really feel like a Paul Schrader movie if you've seen, or at least the ones that I've seen at times. Uh, so it's kind of a of an odd, I guess, uh, looking and feeling movie when it comes to to the movies that I've seen from him. So it's interesting to see him bending a little bit in in some areas that you don't see in, in another one of his movies. Yeah, I think I think this is actually a quintessential Paul Schrader film, even though it is not one that is often discussed in his filmography. And I certainly recommend it. It is a interesting watch for all the reasons that you stated, and uh, certainly creatively, it's uh, it's a very good movie. All right, that has been this episode of movies. Join us for the the follow up again. Patreon.com/slash/lores if you would like to get the video on this episode. And uh, everything early, all at once, because we're going to start doing these episodes back-to-back. It's going to be two episodes a week, and we'll see how long we can pull that off. (laughs) That has been Movies for Today. Thank you for listening.